Greetings to everyone listening, and welcome to the first stream of the Godspeak podcast. I go by the name The Archon, and I'm the creator of the website and this series, which I'll be hosting together with a gentleman known as The Greek. He'll be joining me shortly. This podcast is a follow-up to a previous one that was done on a sister site called Greekspeak.com, and it'll build on the subject matter that we covered in that one. I would recommend that those who haven't taken a look at Greekspeak.com should do that, since it acts as a gateway into the material that you'll find on Godspeak. This is an introductory episode where the Greek and myself will be highlighting some of the subjects that will come up throughout the series. I can say up front that much of it is in the esoteric vein, being material that veers away from the conventional narratives that mainstream media peddles in, but it also diverges from much of the conspiracy theory talk that alternative media cares so much about. A lot of that comes out of the mouths of self-professed truthers, and a lot of his theories, when it is truth, is often somebody parroting somebody else, so there isn't much room for them to elaborate on things when it's just conjecture or repetition. That's where this podcast will try to set itself apart by having the Greek elaborate on things he has first-hand experience with or has researched himself. With regards to the name of the website, Godspeak is just a play on the name of my other website, Greekspeak, which is named after the Greeks' unconventional way of talking about things. The purpose there was to explain things about society which are obvious but ignored. And the purpose with Godspeak, as the name suggests, is to illuminate the supernatural. So even if you find the notion of things like gods to be far-fetched, perhaps your curiosity will compel you to sit through the podcast and you might end up taking these things more seriously as we progress. Godspeak.com has no political, religious, or corporate affiliations and is completely managed by myself. Similar to Greekspeak.com, podcast episodes will be available to download through the media tab on the website's homepage. And so, that's it for the introduction. Uh, thanks again for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy this introductory episode. Hello, Greek. What's going on with you? Okay, yeah, we uh, are supposedly uh, on a new project, which is an extension of another project, and uh, let's see if we can get it going. Yeah, I anticipate that things will go just as well as the last one. So this is a podcast that's going to be looking at the unseen realm of things, the powers, so to speak, that animate what we see around us, which often get mislabeled as superstition or secular occurrences. Um, there's been times that we touched on that in the Greek speak podcast, but um, I made an effort to stay away from it to save it for now. And now that we've graduated to God speak, that's going to be the main focus. The unseen realm of spirits that influences the physical world. You talk about that a lot. What is it about? For most people, it sounds like a load of absurdities similar to religious nonsense. So why would a man of your distinction entertain such inclinations? Well, let's just say the unseen realm, it's beyond just unseen, it's uncontemplated. Let's just say that again. It's not just unseen, it's uncontemplated, or uh, it's not comprehended, it's not thought about. Uh, this particular realm, meaning uh, the unseen realm, or let's just uh, spill, spill out and say the realm of uh, the spirit, the realm of the gods, the realm of the supernatural, paranormal, or ultranatural, is not contemplated by the masses at large, which they don't contemplate anything anyway. But uh, the point of saying it's not contemplated is when I say something like it's not thought of, it's unseen, or it's not contemplated, I'm actually speaking about the representatives of society, meaning the the judges, the lawyers, the leaders, the doctors, the teachers, the professors, the experts, uh, so on and so forth. Usually when you <clears throat> hear me make a comment about the masses, I'm not speaking about the billions and billions at large. Um, I'm speaking about those that lead and guide them. So I just wanted to interject that. Uh, I try not to use a lot of they's uh, or them's, um, but I feel that this needs to be uh, addressing that fine point. Um, again, the multitude have no meaning whatsoever. Uh, their Whatever meaning they have distilled into their lives comes from, yeah, you guessed it, their judges, attorneys, doctors, teachers, professors, and you know, religious leaders, secular leaders, what have you. So again, I'll be when I refer to the masses, it's I, that that is the definition that should be applied. So actually, what we're going to be speaking of is uh, uh, 
directing the the point of view towards the higher aspect of of the achievement of human society, meaning quote unquote higher, uh, in air quotes. Those that are the teachers and those that establish the convention is what we're aiming the criticism, if there is any, towards. So uh, without uh, derailing the initial question, well, we can take a, a very short you know, cross-section of it in modern quote-unquote science. They tell you that uh, ultimately uh, the majority of what exists is not physically perceivable, which is in also stark contrast to um, the invention of perceivable particles in matter uh, to explain certain things. And that comes, that stems from an early popple bull. Uh, this can be researched. There are many popple bulls, but this is probably during the time of Luther, pr prior to the Gregorian popple bull, where the Vatican basically ensued its intent to take control of all things ma uh, that are a matter of spirit or mind. And anything that was to be studied must have a physical, substantive, material counterpart. Otherwise, it was uh, jurisdiction of the Vatican and not to be examined publicly or expressed publicly in any other way. Um, and it was to be um, controlled by the Vatican. What I mean by that is, for example, the light phenomenon. Quote-unquote, natural philosophers of the day or modern scientists cannot discuss the light phenomenon as what it is, a perturbation in the ether. Uh, they have to discuss it as a particle, so they invent a photon, F-A-U-X-T-O-N, and uh, then they can discuss it as a particle. Electricity, which is another perturbation in the ether, uh, cannot be discussed unless they have a uh, corresponding particles, so they invent protons and electrons and things like that. I constantly uh, make fun of them by uh, repeating experiments that I've done where I've cut an electrical wire with a dustpan and, and magnifying glass in hand to see the electrons pouring out, and I've never seen that happen. So this, uh, this let's just say starting off, um, the Vatican, when I say the Vatican, it's a political institution. It has its sovereignty from, I guess, the turn of the century from uh, Mussolini, I guess. <laughs> I guess that was his job, and no one's contended it since. It is just a pariah in humanity, just like any other aspect of uh, you know, mind control would be. You could look at what the intelligence agencies have been doing through years or, quote-unquote, certain you know, despotic governments, despotic religions or whatever, but it, it is a negative um, – one of the negative things that has been established on the earth, and this is not what I'm saying is not has nothing to do with what people believe in or their faith it has to do with uh, objectivity as if you were to come and visit this planet. I'm not saying that the Vatican is the sole uh, malevolent uh, force or di dictatorial force in within the context of what is real and what is not or the unseen versus the seen. There are many others. But it's the easiest one to show uh, historically and uh, geographically uh, in, in a way that uh, it is a political body, and most people just focus uh, on, on you know what's called politically correct. So it is not politically correct to uh, actually even ensue that the Vatican is wrong, makes it wrong in itself. Um, so you contrasted a bit the material versus the immaterial, and I think we can say that we live in a world where people are conditioned to place the most faith in the things that they can rationalize by way of their senses, and so the physical world creates the boundaries for most people's perception. What would you say is the reason behind the disparity between the physical world where academia says that natural processes run on autopilot and the unseen realm where those processes are powered by an invisible sentient component? Well, that's difficult to answer directly because what is actually the source of the power, the power is the exhibition of work and manifestation of movement in the material world, is always an immaterial aspect. Um, you know, let's take uh, heat, light, electricity, magnetism. Those are not material uh, uh, components solely material components in the material world. These are things that are uh, put in motion and affect the material world whose source of energy, let's just use that point uh, or that term, is immaterial. If you want to uh, discuss what fields are, if you want to discuss uh, space versus counter space, which is a negative space, uh, there tends to be a lot of allusion to that in science fiction. Uh, you can... Um, 
understand uh, when you say the mind, right? Uh, in a more advanced, let's say, discussion, one can delve into neuropathy, neurology, and the study of the brain. And uh, it's ultimately been concluded that the brain is just a, a sensory organ uh, that mediates uh, thought and mediates mind power or mediates what we'll find out later or maybe in this discussion, what we say spirit is actually mind. It's the character uh, of when we impose it upon a living being. And then uh, just like putting a ladle or a bucket into an ocean and removing some water, there is a larger body of spirit, a spiritual realm where all of these minds would uh, be tapping into. So we'll be perhaps developing that in the future. But I don't see that there, what people are perceiving uh, to be purely physical to be so at all, because you often hear people saying, oh, those are photons. Uh, and again, when I say people, not the commoners, I'm talking about the professors, scientists, philosophers, leaders uh, in those fields. When they say photons, uh, their experiments tend to work out but the actual photon itself doesn't exist, you see. I do think that that's a point of incredulity for a lot of people that, well, you're saying that these things are fake, that they don't exist, but we have material benefits from what these scientists claim to be doing and in their labs. So that the finality of that result is clearly a testament to its validity as opposed to what you're saying, which is really what can't be proven. Well, people, again, have the perception of we're actually benefiting from what they're doing. And that's maybe another discussion. But if you objectify it, I haven't seen many, many benefits. I've seen slight improvements and applications of certain technologies. But essentially, it's, it, it, they are still producing and, and purveying entropic systems, which is the opposite of uh, life-giving. So even if we stick with the matter of light... Uh, it's not. It is is forms of light that require power sources. Power sources that decay and degrade, give off heat. Where you know things that are living, even if you were to expand that things that are living statement into the motion of the planets and the stars, they tend to be in a harmonic balance that do not seem to be expending themselves and maintain their accuracy of movement. Where what they are purveying does not. Yeah, that I understand. But to the human being who doesn't um, sort of understand the back end of his own technology and is only looking at the utilitarian sort of function of it, they would say that their smartphones and their cars and their whatever are performing a function that is usable and that that is certainly an advantage over what existed, say, 100, 200 years ago. And we should thank the scientists for that. So what are you on about with your photons or fake stuff when clearly we have our goods and services? Sure, you, you can you can go into many aspects of that. Um, you know what caused the footprint in the sand on the beach, or what caused the tree to fall. Uh, you can there's many you know there are many uh, ways you could say you know causality. Yeah. So ultimately, the products that they that we let's say quote unquote the, the let's say in this case the society at large receives from them, they perceive them as as being um, beneficial because they offer more comfort than the previous technology did. So it's very relative in that sense. Okay, I hear what you're saying. Well, let's say that you're on a train somewhere and the driver announces that you'll be stuck in place for the next 20 minutes because of an accident. And so to pass time, the guy sitting next to you asks if you're religious, you say no, and then that starts a conversation on what each of your convictions are concerning the non-material existence. How would you, in a situation like that, expound on the supernatural to somebody with no direct knowledge of it, but wants to learn? Wow. Um, that would be a, a big question. And the first thing I would address to that is wants to learn. Then the wants to learn needs to be held almost separate from the category and the subject matter itself. Because it would not just be around, let's say, quote unquote, spirituality or religion but it would be about anything and at that point let's say i was in a situation like you just mentioned that setting that first of all let's 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 be real the chances of running into someone like that in the society is in the one in a million to one in ten million so let's just say for we could skip this question because that wouldn't happen it's so slim 
but let's say we don't skip the question and we um, stick with it, I would give him a standard load of Greek speak. Basically, no one is paying attention to the obvious. And if you can perceive the obvious, which is an astounding feat on its own, then we could probably have a palpable discussion in the in the quote-unquote spirituality, non-perceivable, ultimately called religious discussion. Okay. I guess my, my, my thought behind the question is that most people can relate to some sensibility that indicates that the supernatural exists. They just aren't able to rationalize it or create a usable framework around it so it just remains in the category of woo and, you know, stays in limbo and they can't really form a proper conclusion about it. So in that case, is there anything that a person could say to offer up, you know, some kind of advice to point people in the right direction? High level of discernment. Uh, you're going to have to look at the the source uh, and see if the source can be objectified. What I mean by that is in any field of study, whatever uh, subject or object you want to study, uh, the reality of that can be replaced with a fiction that appears to be or a counterfeit situation or, or you know, a, a contrived situation or a contrived object that might be like the original. Uh, so uh, you're going to have to pretty much uh, put on some objectivity uh, glasses and see if uh, that source is known not whether 50% is true, 50% is, is is not, because in this day and age, meaning the past 150 years, uh, when you f hear of an untrusted source, it's it's all of their stuff is not to be trusted. It's that bad right now. Like if you hear anything from, uh, a, 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 a let's say, what's called a, a multinational corporation or a government or a uh, religious authority, it's about 99.99999% false. Everything that they're saying is kind of like uh, it, the earth is known to be uh, a purveyor of, of BS. One can say that uh, being uh, very critical, if you can uh, get past the hurdle of perceiving the obvious, you could probably move further on that. Okay. Let's break down some of the aspects of how people interact with the unseen world. I think the most notable way is through religion, so we can start with that. Um, as someone who wasn't indoctrinated into any religion, what notions of the unseen realm did you carry about in your early life, and how did those play? How did those ideas play out as you got older? Okay, well, the, that's a very large question, because how does the unseen world interact with anyone, is if anyone can structure a thought and walk across the room at the same time, that is because you're you're a multilateral feedback. You know, you're you're actually transmitting and receiving from your environment, meaning the unseen environment. That's what consciousness is. You're not self-contained. Your thoughts are, are attached to a large network. Let's say uh, this has already been established, uh, and but it's it's not as acknowledged as it could be or should be. And myself personally, I had to. I grew up in a Greek Orthodox. Uh, Christian setting, and I knew there was something just downright wrong with it. It was not only wrong, but it was dirty. It was dark. It was, I wouldn't say evil, because they did give away food to the poor, but in essence, um, I had to be bribed with jelly donuts to go to church, right, until I just said no more, and I would actually run away on Saturday night. I'd come back till Sunday night to <laughs> to avoid that. After enough uh familial embarrassment of that they said okay you don't have to go anymore and that was just really a, a good way so actionable protest does work i guess when you're about six or seven. No, oh, that's smart i wish i had thought of that well no i wouldn't have been allowed to get away with it so i guess you're people are more accepting 50 40 years ago uh not really i, I mean i had a broomstick broken on me several times so no it was i accepted that over the other yes oh i see okay <laughs> well I mean, in the absence of religion, it leaves some people wondering how they can affirm the existence of the unseen realm, because even though we can talk about your thoughts and how they're powered, most people aren't aware of that sort of thing. They take it for granted that the brain is the, is the seat of the mind. So without religion, they're sort of left um, in limbo. So what is your average person to do other than join a religion or the occult if he wants to understand the supernatural? 
the average person is just that they're just doorstops they have no they have no play believe it or not in the larger scheme of things uh until the larger scheme of things changes to accept them which is not in this life so again um most of this conversation when we say people will be focused towards the leadership of these of these doorstops let's, let's just say one thing I do agree with, uh, the power brokers of the world and those that control the world, they call them useless eaters or whatever. I fully agree with that. So uh, the average people are, are just, um, I've defined in other sonics as space heaters. They take up space and give off heat. And, I, and I'm not just saying this again to just skirt around the question, but uh, they're just space heaters. They're just uh, pawns, let's just say. But what happens with this disposable mass is the leadership can guide them so it's like you're swimming in a lake and here comes you know these senseless logs you know down the lake and they're going to crush you right not one you can avoid but if you have you know a barrage of uh, you know a major log jam that just led through the lake it, it will destroy you you know they do have they are formidable in in when they're in a mass together to work in a particular direction but uh, for them to function individually, it's, it's uh, negligible. Um, that's why, for example, you have uh, the quote-unquote intelligentsia of this, uh, in the society. It's always just a handful. You have the spiritual people, just a handful, and so on and so forth. Uh, but you know what? The real ones are not known. They always prop, there, there will always be a time period when there is a resurgence of intelligentsia or spirituality or romance in art or whatever. And very often, the ones that are genuinely uh, with authentic creativity and, 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 and uh, genuine uh, drive to advance those areas are hidden. And the fakes, and you know, like your Einsteins and the Osama bin Ladens and the Oswalds and all the fake stuff that you see, George Washingtons, all these, these things that are put in front of you as being notable are not actually at all. And the real ones are kept back. So if you are amongst the average uh, whatever space heaters and you one day are turned on to do great things because it might be later on in your life, if not early in your life, uh, you must understand uh, that notoriety and fame is not what real people, quote unquote, or genuine performers get. They always put, put in, in front uh, the faux aspect. Yeah, I don't. I mean, you know, I'm obviously going to desist from referring too much to the average person because it's a it's clearly a point of of uh, distaste. But I'm just talking about to whomever it may concern that qualifies. So if there's some princess somewhere, the princess of Spain or whatever, that decides that she wants to understand the supernatural because she realizes that her, the, the whole monarchy is just full of idiots. Okay. What's she going to do? Okay, and even then, she there. If she really was the princess of Spain, she would have been eliminated, and they would put a fake in her place. Uh, this, this is just the real reality. It's how it works. But let's say there, she is a, a, in that position, even if she is not really the princess of Spain, the heir apparent. What is she to do? Um, <laughs> back in the days when uh, when you lied <clears throat> to nobility, your head was cut off. I think uh, for her to go to all of the <clears throat> academics and have their, most of their heads cut off would be a little too drastic. So short of that, it would be that she would have to uh, have a, uh, her own personal revelation of, of observing the obvious before she embarks on any study of any subject, whether it's medical, her body, um, you know, the, the natural world at large, you know, the study of the gods or spirituality or religion, the study of history. She would have to see what, uh, learn to discern what's being put in front and see what's false and what's not and begin to acknowledge the obvious and ask uh, the proper questions. So uh, the subject matter, again, is irrelevant. Okay, I hear what you mean. Um, I have noticed that a number of Abrahamic religions place quite a lot of emphasis on belief as a key component in their doctrines, or at least in their traditions. I'd say evangelical Christianity takes a lot of blame pie for that today because their refrain is just believe and you're saved and it's all done by grace, blah, blah. But the further back in history you go, the more you see that what is called religion was about a way of life and rituals. So if you do ABC, then your God accepts you. If you don't, then there's consequences. Can you elaborate on how tenuous this idea of belief is and the sort of distorting effect it's had on how people interact with the supernatural? Well, if someone just tells you you have to believe, it's a scam because even if you study the famous New Testament 
documents that are put out that people say this concept is based on, it doesn't say anything like that at all in its entirety. Um, one big popular thing, as they say, is the law has been done away with that you find in the Old Testament. But the most prominent day that the quote-unquote uh, the disciples and apostles experience was what's what they call the day of Pentecost. If they weren't following the law, that they would not have been in one place to receive what they call the Holy Spirit, you see. So um, also there is no – I wouldn't – I would – probably will be repeating myself very often on this. I'm not saying you shouldn't use it because it's a good target phrase and the phrase is Abrahamic religions. There's no such thing. Uh, that is another uh, a sign of, you know, guiding the mind down a path that isn't so. Uh, what I mean by that is if you read the, let's say when you say Abraham, that's a biblical text. It's also in the Quran. But if you um, understand the text and you read it with comprehension, you have... Uh, man's society on the earth interacting with gods, but there's one god that doesn't have uh, any people that really have an allegiance to him as a, from a familial to a national level. Um, so he uh, chooses Abraham to be the man that will start the genealogy of a group of people from a familial, tribal to national, and then worldwide level that will have allegiance to this particular god who is the god of gods in the Bible. So there is no religious aspect there as much as it's um, a particular people who have allegiance to a particular god. And I don't see that really as being a religious thing as much as it is a hereditary thing and more of establishing a nation that is known to have an allegiance to a certain god. Just like, for example, people have an allegiance to a certain leader or a monarchy. It was. It's always known that people, even today, have an allegiance to a certain uh, deity. And this particular deity did not have a group of people, so he created them through Abraham. So when, I, when you say Abrahamic religion, I don't see it in the way that people use religion as, in religious studies, in what they call uh, theocracy or theology or whatever uh, in that sense at all. I understand, and I do occasionally make myself guilty to sort of commonplace phrases that most people understand. We are talking about Christianity, Islam, and um, Judaism. Yes. Well, well belief is, uh, you'll see colloquially, it means like lunchtime's over, get back to work. That's all it means. In other words, yeah, just say you believe and get back to what you were doing. Because if you were to do the opposite, to know... Well, how much time does it take to gain knowledge versus how much time does it uh, take to vow your belief into something? Hmm. For example, it's very easy to, if you, you have a fake diamond that looks like the real thing, you want to find someone who's looking to buy a diamond because you could purvey the sale quicker than convincing just some pedestrian who doesn't think about buying diamonds to buy one, you see. So you have to find a willing victim. But also the consequences which are coming in the future in this society is when you find a willing victim and you victimize them and through the corruption of this, the sale of a corrupt item, the penalties and the, uh, the fervor and the pursuit of getting the assailant is much higher than just a common pedestrian who was not interested in it, who was, would have a higher chance of chalking it off as a mis just a misfortunate incident, right? Yeah, I see what you're saying there. So you mean the consequences are, are going to be quite dire in the future? Sure. So what I'm trying to say indirectly, I'll be more direct, is as we progress as a, well, along this path, it, it's not just the, the, the Greek or the God speak that we're doing. Society at large is going to start looking for spiritual answers. And that is the, the biggest threat to the, the uh, current theocracies, you know, of every religion. So every religion has its central point of focus. You know, you might say Judaism would be out of Israel, the Roman Catholics out of the Vatican, you know, uh, the Mormons out of Utah, whatever, whatever. You'll, you'll see, you know, Mecca for, you know, these other guys and, you know, this shrine here for these other. Okay, the people are just casually going along because if you don't have a religion, well, there's something wrong with you, you know. Uh, um, 
So uh, when the people start to develop a desire to learn more about it, that is the biggest enemy and the biggest threat model to these leaders of all of these different groups that I mentioned geographically, because they're, they're not very difficult to be found out as frauds, right? I mean, anyone that wants to see what Judaism is doing as a fraud can just spend 15 minutes researching on the internet. If anyone wants to see what Christianity is purveying as a fraud, you can just spend five minutes on the internet. The same with Islam, the same with Hinduism, the same with any of these religions. So again, going back to the people just being worthless is that they're not even spending 15 minutes of their, in their life to see that the religion that they actually profess to believe in is a complete fraud. So what, what will happen in the near future, meaning the next few years, beginning, is people's genuine desire to gain knowledge and shed, not completely shed belief, but shed um, leaning on belief as the only causality for them to profess that they are of a particular religious group. And when they have a desire to gain knowledge, all of the current systems will be shown to be complete you know, hoaxes and frauds. And that will be, uh, this is actually prophetic in, in all of the uh, prophetic writs of every culture. There'll be a, a short time when there's a turnaround in people's minds. So, so all of these, um, you know, rabbis, ministers, imams, or whatever. Yeah, I, if you hear this, you, you only have a few years. You should have an alternative occupation prepared. Well, if we presume that the three major religions at least fall apart under scrutiny, then why not give preference to some of the Eastern ones like Taoism or Confucianism or Buddhism that are noticeably branded as more sublime and philosophical? The same, the same. They're the same frauds. In other words, it's, it's, uh, it's as if I took, um, went and got a chicken and wrapped it with a wrapper that said bubblegum on it and everyone's passing it around as bubblegum for a few days until it starts to really stink and they open the wrapper and they see that it's a rotten piece of chicken inside, right? <laughs> so, and even if someone wanted uh, to uh, open the wrapper, it says bubblegum, but it's a piece of chicken. Say, this is not bubblegum, this is chicken, right? It's very easy to do. The wrapping and the, the superficial, uh, you know, aspect of it is, is, is very that, That's what, you see, in other words, if you make something so obviously fraudulent and put it in front of people and they accept it, what does that say about those that accept it? If you, know, if you have beings that are so obviously susceptible to such superficial deception, you don't have a, a quality being or a quality mindset that you're dealing with. And uh, after thousands of years of this, it's like shooting fish in the barrel. It gets pretty boring and they just continue doing it anyway, meaning the leadership. Well, I mean, we're definitely going to take some time to look more narrowly at certain of these religions in the future episodes. But for now, let's move on to talk about what supposedly underpins the power of these religions and also secret societies and cults, which is namely the gods. Um, I think it's arguably the least understood notion in any language or culture, with perhaps an exception of some indigenous ones. What are we to make of that word and its origins? Oh, if you were, let's say, in Northern Europe 500 years ago and you said that word, they'd point at the sun. God, gee, let's say you'd, you'd spell it G-O-T-T -T or G-O-D-T. It's an English word. Many other languages, uh, like let's say the other common one that the prefix is used academically is theos, where you get, where you get theosophy, theocracy, theology from. Other languages, Allah in Arabic, El Allah, Elohim in Hebrew, um, yeah, Brahma in the Hindu. It's just a point of reference. It, it usually, in every culture, if you use the corresponding term for that, they usually point up. Why, why do they tend to point upwards? Because, I mean, they, you can identify gods even on the ground level. Yes, but generally that's the consensus of, of where everything comes from. Even, for, even from the scientism, this religion of modern science, they tell you everything came from the stars. You know, now, not evolution where you formed a slime in the water and then developed legs and crawled on the surface. So that's still the, pre, the, the pregenesis to that is astral, meaning up high. Okay. You've often talked about how the physical world is subordinate to the spiritual world. And the quality and quantity of things here can be used to infer a lot about the other side. 
So what can we surmise about the gods and their society by drawing parallels between the physical and the spiritual domains? If you look at it from an industrial manufacturing point of view, uh, the, the, the sheer simul similarity of all things biological. You know how you hear, for example, uh, DNA, right? You notice as time goes on, there's less talk about that because it's such an inaccurate science. There's 111 comparisons. You can have a long discussion or a study on your own. And of course, like the study of DNA now just ends up in the legal society, which is all presumption and fiction anyway. And you always hear about someone being char uh, convicted or acquitted based on DNA. And if you look at how they're using it, it's completely against the uh, accepted methods. Because, you know, the, the I think I've discussed before, you know, again, the attorneys are, you know, represent certain forces. Uh, but if you look at what they call DNA, broccoli has about 70 or 80 percent of human DNA. A housefly is about 90 percent human DNA. So we're looking at several, let's say, aspects of the biological code that all share the same thing, almost identical when you're looking at the percentages of how similar they are. Things that uh, living things, most living things require light. Most living things require uh, aspiration to breathe and food. So you look at the mechanism of nature itself from the law of the jungle all the way to the, the finest scrutiny and objectifying what to be alive is and then seeing that there's actually a consciousness behind it that's driving it, right? And what, even plants, the secret life of plants, anyone could look that up. A um, uh, fellow wrote a book about how plants were set up to uh, electrical uh, sensing devices and they reacted to human emotion and movement. Mm. There's also this aspect of the gods having become a very sparse field of expertise. And I want to look at that also. And I don't mean knowledge of ancient religions, which I think there's just still quite a bit of information about. I mean the equivalent of what we see in indigenous cultures where in places like Vietnam or Cambodia, when the witch doctor says, don't go into the house over there because there's an evil spirit inside. And if you go anyway, as soon as you step into the living room, you feel someone punch you in the head and knock you out, even though the house was empty. I mean, that kind of cause and effect that's closer to how technology operates. Where did that knowledge of the gods disappear to? The overarching, what I call contractual discoveries that were made uh, after the Renaissance. Uh, when you hear about um, contractual discovery, that is when the, you hear of the explorers that were sent out throughout the world that were also followed by the, by the let's say, special forces to get, gather and acquire all this information, like the witch doctor says, don't go into this house or the forest or what have you. Um, uh, when these discoverers went out, uh, you hear of all the explorers, Magellan, Vasco da Gama, Columbus, all the soon to follow were the special forces uh, of the Vatican and other groups that wanted that knew of this uh, existence as, as a part of the normalcy of the society, acquired the information and not only uh, of, of the happenings, but also how to control and manipulate and interact with these forces and then of course eliminate the people that did have control and then take control of it and sequester it. If you go to places in the Congo, Somalia, parts of Afghanistan, parts of southern Libya where you don't have this contractual overarching, you know, quote unquote the modern system that you see on the planet, the people are quite familiar with this and they're still quite active with it, especially in many of the jungle regions. Okay, I mean, that's a good segue into sort of the next question. If, if to some extent, indigenous cultures were able to retain that knowledge, then I wonder why those people have been so ineffective in shaping world events. And not only that, but even in deciding their own fate as nations. I mean, if you look at the Native Americans as an example, here we have a group of people who occupied probably one of the most coveted land areas that I've seen outside of Syria, Palestine, maybe. They had access to occulted knowledge such as incantations and conjurations that could have easily wiped out the Europeans that invaded, yet they lost their land and now they're almost extinct. And so now the story is that the supremacy of Western European culture and weaponry triumphed over backwater Indians who wasted their time praying to a totem pole. Can you unpack that a bit? Yeah, yeah why? Yeah, in other words, what are the benefits of that, let's say? They, they were doing more than the totem pole. Uh, the totem pole would be more like the 
like a divine geographical marker, just like you would have a marker for any other purpose on the on the earth itself. Uh, uh, I wouldn't say they were just praying to it. I think it was more of a marker, like a survey point. But I would suggest that um, there was enough wisdom uh, within those cultures to understand that an evil force was going to come to their society. And that evil force was not a monolithic evil force acting on its own volition, but part of the great grand cycle where an evil force has to come or it's inevitable that will come in order for this cycle to end and go to the next cycle, meaning cosmic cycle. Okay. I mean, that does carry a sense of resignation, though. I mean, they did fight. Yes. They did fight, though. The ones that lacked wisdom mostly did, yes. And there were conscientious uh, objectors, by the way, let's just say, about fighting. It was just submit, because in other words, the ones that had wisdom and really had true spiritual knowledge uh, did not mind uh, perishing. Because they understood that the the overarching force and inevitable overarching inevitability of the end of the age happening a certain way it cannot be changed, so why fight it? Oh, okay. I've never heard much about that. I'm have to go looking for those accounts because I, I don't see much about it. I mean, obviously the Native Americans, a lot of them are mixed race now, so you don't find that knowledge base being what it used to be, but. There was much written about this in the 19th century, and but, but by the turn of the 20th century up until the 1930s, what was written about it was sequestered and taken away. All that remains are things that you might find in some library or some reference that you can, you know, digital or not, that uh, is a second or, th let's say, tertiary account of there existing at one point a body of knowledge uh, recording these things, but we don't know where it is or it's not available anymore. There's going to be a revival of this, by the way, and there's an attempted revival, albeit by the visually impaired. When I mean visually impaired, meaning spiritually, you know, having sight, eyes to see means the spiritual things. Most of the people that are trying to revive, quote unquote, through the New Age and many other aspects um, of every culture, by the way, uh, whether it's the indigenous people or the Westerners, they're trying to revive some kind of spirituality, but they're they're impaired. They don't understand the fundamentals, so they're not going to succeed until the time allows them to. Another realm in which the supernatural is often invoked is that of the occult, which oddly has remained something that people meddle with at night in a basement or an attic or in a forest or a parking lot rather than out in the open. Why do you think none of the occult societies have been able to pierce the veil of secular culture to take charge of man's society if the power behind them is real? Oh, no, they have. They have, completely. When you see something on television, an event, whether it's an assassination, a terrorist event, or a pandemic, or whatever, that, that is completely fabricated, and everyone believes it wholeheartedly, that, uh, that there was a tremendous amount of ritual that had gone on before that to uh, uh, put out enough influence in, in that realm to influence the individuals. Pharmaceutical companies do it. If you know any one that's in not low-level but higher-level pharmaceutical business, all of it is done by occult ritual. Yeah, there's not much to to hide on that. You can. This is right now current events. There's something about a vaccine being put out, um, and they're waiting until a certain time when the stars are in place. They're telling you. This is in the current events right now. Yeah, I guess I'm referring to more this idea that even within the secret societies, if you want to talk Freemasons or Jesuits or whatever, the more forward-facing ones, they there's a sense in which it doesn't seem like they really know what they're doing because you can run into people who belong to those societies and they don't really know what the future holds. They, they know that there's something that the higher-ups are doing right now, perhaps, but it almost feels like they're fumbling around in the dark still. Well, the, the current... When you say any of these societies that you might... Do find on, let's say, uh, MapQuest or Google Maps, where you see they have a building or a society or a website. Those are the common morons that get together, do fancy handshakes, get photographs, you know, eating pork and wearing an apron or whatever. Uh, and it doesn't matter which culture you're talking about. By the way, all cultures have a, a Freemasonic order of some sort or Templar order or some kind of rites. And I say rites, R-I-T-E-S is the spelling. But those are the common morons, and, and the, the, the only reason those exist openly uh, 
is because years ago when the population was smaller and those those organizations were still publicly visible, they were more hardcore. But as populations expanded, so let's say we go back a thousand years and we see that there's a group of Freemasons in a particular country, there's 500 of them, the population expands and grows and descendants of those Freemasons decide to be in Freemasonry. Now the population, instead of being just 500 or so Freemasons, is 20,000, right? Well, there's still only 500 that know what's going on, and the other 19,500 are just filler. It's the same with the military and the same with the police. You know, when you look at the military, they're grunts. You know, if there's a million people in the military, there's fewer than 1,000 or 2,000 of them that know what what, what they're doing. The rest are just filler bodies, you know, masses, like I said earlier. The label is still valid. And in other words, the free, the secret societies, their labels are still valid. If you go look at, for example, uh, the Facebook logo is a Freemasonic logo that's been used for a long time. It means a certain thing. The Google, uh, the Gmail is a Freemasonic apron. They're still would you say, well, this is the free? No, they're just putting this. The symbolism is showing you that it's still, it still has viability. It's just that you can't put your hand on it. And that, I guess, is also a good sort of segue into another question because there's this odd cat and mouse game that these societies and occult groups play with the public, where corporate names and logos clearly indicate that the corporation is operating in honor of or under the auspices of a deity. To the point where, for example, anybody can see that the Mazda car is named after Ahura Mazda, the chief Zoroastrian deity, or that Nike is named after a Greek goddess. But if you ask the CEO, they'll just deny it. And so my question is why such a seemingly spineless way of ruling the world where you have to hide behind plausible deniability when we know that high-level corporations and governments utilize occult practices? Oh, well, the CEOs are just uh, uh, ceremonial figureheads. Again, I mentioned recently, uh, when the mob got into white-collar crime, they needed shell corporations, you know, corporations to achieve a certain thing in commercially or in trade and then collapse it. And they're like, well, we need a CEO. I said, well, just get that homeless guy there to sign, get him a new suit, a shave, send him to a spa and have him sign papers. Doesn't matter. You'd have to be insane uh, to be a rational if you had the slightest amount of honor, dignity, lawfulness, and morality to be a CEO of one of these big companies, they don't pick people that are – and those companies come before so when, before the people. So when you hear about like Jeff Bozo did Amazon, he didn't – or that guy that did Facebook or whatever, he didn't do anything. They just put some clown there. They just guide – they're guided. It's very simple. I, it, it's uh, uh, to do. It's just that you don't get the story because it's obvious. I mean, not you, but you know, people don't get it because it's just so obvious. I hear the pay's good though. It does, well, the bank numbers. Yeah. I have from a good source the the guy the the bozo guy um, when when he's given a certain agenda and he has to think he reports back. He's not sure about it. He may not want to do it. Well, the next time he goes and checks his bank balance, it's zero point zero zero. And they know he just checked his bank balance, so he gets the phone call again, and he says, would you reconsider? And he says, I'll reconsider. So he goes back and checks his bank balance, and it's $50 billion. So, so you really want – and all of these people that you hear that are wealthy are not. In Hollywood and music and industry, the moment they say, I want to get out of this, the moment they see that he's purchasing survival equipment or a, a, a place that's not on Google Maps, let's say – or a, a travel to a to bug out or a appointment with plastic surgeons and all that. He gets a phone call. He says, your funds are taken away from you again. What do you think you're doing? You're in this for life. They have no money. He's So when you see these these people in the music industry in Hollywood, they, they allude to this. There's plenty of YouTube videos of Jim Carrey saying, I don't know what I did, you know, uh, and other actors publicly saying, this is not what you think it is, you know. Jim Carrey wants to get away from being anally raped or whatever uh, by Hollywood, you know, people who control Hollywood, he can't. Well, he, he could do it. He'd be homeless. He would be penniless. And the moment he'd ask someone for money, they'd put him in an insane asylum. The, the Kanye West guy that went crazy at a concert talking about Illuminati, he's hospitalized for three days and he comes out and he's totally fine. These people have no money. Prince has tried it to get away from it. 
And you can't. Nobody uh, can get away from it once you get into it that deep, meaning on a worldwide uh, fame level. Any of these guys. Uh, Bill Gates wants to get away with his husband, um, or I'm sorry, his wife, Melinda. When Bill Gates wants to get away and wash his hands of it, he'll be a pauper or put in an insane asylum. He has no money at all. They have no money. It's all bank numbers. This is the biggest fallacy. Uh, you know, if you understand the Kali Yuga, it says in the end, people will only listen to people who are wealthy. And they're not even wealthy. It's just a double irony here. And by the way, if you're if you're a real wealthy person, you don't put your money in the bank because they only insured for 100,000 quid or whatever, right? Or dollars. That's, That's a, You know, you don't have to go to Harvard Business School to know that you can only get a $100,000 return on your billion dollar parking a billion dollars somewhere you can only come back and get a hundred thousand out of it that's you don't have to go to harvard business school to know that's a bad move the wealthy people don't have their to put their monies in these institutions but i wanted to go back to like the the hollywood people and the famous people bill gates and the jeff bozo and kanye west and prince and uh whatever jay-z they could go out and buy an airplane and jim carrey they could go out and buy a 10 ferraris because that fits the role that they're playing they could go out and buy a big house Right. How many times have you heard um, some actors, especially as this happened with some ba uh, basketball and sports people recently, they wanted to sell their five million dollar mansion, but then it gets foreclosed on. How is that possible? Because it's like stop your movements. You know, uh, if you keep persisting, your 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 uh, car will explode because it crashed into a gum wrapper. <laughs> you know, you crashed into a paper cup and the car exploded. Or your helicopter goes down, or you drown. <clears throat> this is not what people think it is. Yeah, none of these people that you know or hear have any power. They're all just uh, a show. It's very efficient for the, the powers that are behind the scenes, meaning the secret societies and the spirits that they deal with, to put this charade in front of society. It's very efficient. Because right now, I even had someone says, Greek, I, I want to live with honor, lawfulness, and dignity. I want to go after these powers. Like, who? Where are you going to aim? Who, who, who? You can't identify them. They spent the past thousand years cloaking themselves. You can't find them. There is no way to revolt or repel this. This is the, goes back to the wisdom of those native people that allowed themselves to be exterminated because they knew that this had to happen anyway. No matter what you did, it was going to happen. Because it was the end, the ages, the progression of the cosmic ages is far more significant than you living another day to wipe your bum or get hungry or have more children. And the the essence of your spirit, and the the true the the true motive for you existing is beyond what you see in this current age. Yeah, well, I, we're going to get into more of that as, as things go on. And I think that'll be a pleasure because uh, there's a lot to learn in that realm of things. Um, but let's wrap up the podcast by looking at the topic of ancient culture, although we've touched on it a little bit already. Um, so what we know about the gods comes to us from memorialized accounts over the past four to 5,000 years. But since the Middle Ages, the volume of those writings either declined or became very occultic and hidden. So the most direct literature about the gods is from classical antiquity, most of it. What can this period teach us about the gods in ways that seem to vanish once the Dark Ages arrive? Well, there were no Dark Ages until the Middle Ages. Everything was just fine. Uh, it was just to redefine it's dark, because not because it was dark in any way, other than we don't know much. The information has been sequestered. And the information uh, just lets you know that you're getting closer to the end of the age. Every culture has in, in its own prophetic writings that as we get closer to the end of this age, meaning grand age, not just cycle of ages, where you have, let's say, cycles of 2,000 or consecutive series of, let's say, 1,000 or 2,000 years, but a grand age, which could be 7 or 20 or 24,000 or 14,000 years, but most likely, let's just say, in the multiple thousands of years, um, the the all the cultures have in their similarity is that there will be an unprecedented peak in a malevolency lack of honor lack of dignity lack of lawfulness in the end of the grand age you know very much described as you see now and this could be said uh in in an objective way or it could be said 
in a subjective way where I like to say that if you preach doom and gloom and evil and malevolency any time in human history, it sounds about right. But never has it been on a, as we know, dark ages aside on such a level where it's all, it's pretty much the entire world. Um, you and I were having a conversation some time back, probably some years ago, and you said something interesting about ancient writs. Um, you asked me, um, why do you have to pick ancient literature as a reference point for understanding reality? And naturally, I couldn't answer at the time, so you just answered it yourself. And you said, because why would you refer to a book that came into existence only a few hundred years ago when you have books from thousands of years ago? And books from the 18th century probably won't have much to offer about 6,000 years of human civilization. Could you elaborate on that more about this idea of first in time is first in line and the primacy of ancient r recordings? Sure. The, 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 the primacy, meaning taking it in his, from a point of hysteresis where the older, the better when you focus on what's you know, older, what came first, um, is not necessarily that it's in a book. It could be something that's uh, scribbled on the side of a, of, of a stone. Um, it's a communication. It's memorializing a communication. Uh, for example, we have the goal, the gods have uh, an active role with humanity via communication. Uh, if you were just to narrow it down as a phenomenon, why do we have people imagining things about another race of beings known as the gods? And that they received a script from them or directions to write script from them and writs from them. Is it purely imaginative? And even if it was purely imaginative, let's say from a romantic fictional point of view, why are they all so similar? And even that becomes the notion that it's just people's imagination becomes self-defeatist because the accuracy and the similarity and the causality you know, that we see in history – in other words, when you read about Sodom and Gomorrah, it's a real place. When you read about the Temple of Solomon, it's a real place. When you read about, you see, or other things, these are real places. How can the imagination be stretched so far? It must be, uh, there must be a concurrent uh, line of fact underneath all of it. So all we have from the gods, uh, other than the, the substantive reality that all things seem to be made by them, uh, or a similar uh, manufacture, or similar creation and formation, that there is a separate aspect to the gods interacting with us through communications. You want to call them prophets, sages, messiahs, um, angels, you know, when you get into demons, when you get into the non-corporal again, um, that there's so much of it that just because there's so much quantity doesn't mean it's valid, but the quality of the information uh, makes it valid, not just the quantity. So in other words, everywhere you look, there is some reference to some god everywhere, somewhere and everywhere. Uh, and uh, if we take those either as valid or invalid from being from the gods, you always end up at the same place qualitatively. They're all higher order dictates, uh, memorializations, higher order, uh, uh, memorializations of higher order communications – not just to the people at the time, but to be sent through the future. The most viable ones, obviously, are the ones written in stone because they don't decay. Even, for example, finding ancient scrolls, there are many challenges, let's say, in the Qumran Dead Sea Scrolls, right? There are major challenges I don't need to discuss with finding 2,000-year-old scrolls. Right? They don't seem to be very durable. But when you have something carved into the side of a stone tends to have more durability. And whether it's on a more recent find, let's say the scrolls in Qumran or ancient stelae that have been carved, or even uh, oral tradition and folklore that has survived to a certain degree, it all needs to be looked at. And when it's looked at, it, it all has the same qualitative meaning, which I think validates the existence of the gods in itself, the, the communication that's been memorialized. Okay, but... We can't overlook that among ancient texts. We have the Greek texts competing with the Egyptian texts, competing with the Parthians, competing with the Israelites, competing with the Sumerians, Babylonians, blah, blah, blah. And they all claim preeminence, or at least most of them do. So what do we make of that order? They do and they don't. If you, even if you look at the, the lowest level interp lowest level 
presentations of whether it's the Catholic, uh, what the Catholics tell you you go through when you die, the ancient Greeks tell you what you go through when you die, or the Parthians, or, or so forth, they're all similar. And almost identical uh, when you look at the technique, uh, not identical in technique, but identical in, in process. Like, for example, the man on the street thinks you, you're good, you go to heaven, you're bad, you go to hell forever. But if you study Catholic purgatory, you go there until you have worked through all of your bad stuff, and then you go to the next level. You come out of it. And the man on the street, the typical Catholic, doesn't know that because he works on belief. He hasn't spent 15 minutes studying what the doctrine that the institution that he's pledged allegiance to is purveying. And it's not encouraged, of course. It's just like if you meet an attorney, and uh, not a paralegal who does all the work, but you go to his house or his office, you look at all the law books, they're all brand new. They're 40 years old, and they've never been touched. He doesn't go by those. And the moment you suggest that we look there, he, they get very offended, because his job is to manage your stupidity. Right? Same with a doctor. His job is to manage your stupidity. A priest, a minister, a pastor, an imam is to manage your stupidity. They're not there to educate you or educate themselves. And if you got rid of them, the people would say, well, we don't have any more attorneys. Let's make some more. Let's put some more in there. They don't have to do anything. They just have to give us the perception that they do. We, we don't have any more ministers or priests or pastors Right? Or rabbis or imams, let's make some more. You, right here, yeah, put this on. You're a priest, go. Just tell people this right here is a little crib sheet, five things, and you're done. They feel like these things – give you an example. Like if you understand – I don't know if you know anyone in the Secret Service. And uh, they have their opinions about you know the United States, who's president. But even the Secret Service itself, the training that they put their agents through to protect the president is you're not protecting the man itself. You're protecting the office of the presidency, you see. It's the office of the rabbi, the office of the attorney, the office of the doctor, right? The office of this, it's not the, so now we've lost, it's all become just hollow shells, right? Hollow it's just someone has to fill it. It doesn't matter. It's kind of like when you read about the post-Maccabean or Maccabean era in the, in the temple in Jerusalem. You know, they were such a defeated people. They just took some young Syrian boy and put him in priestly garments as you're the high priest. Yeah, you could just get somebody, anyone, you know, give him, you know, say that he went to whatever seminary and did a couple of good things. You're the pope. Just get up there. You're the pope. Everybody bows down. You're the pope. It's just the offices. They're hollow. They're the, the people that are in those uh, all offices, even your local, you know, um, attorney, doctor, priest, rabbi, whatever. They're just filling a position. People like them or don't like them. It doesn't matter. It's the position is there. It's all vanity. You know, there's no substance behind the and the characters, the people that take these profession, whether again, professors, attorneys, doctors, whatever, so on, popes, they're all of poor character, by the way. If you, you know, get to know them, judges, whatever, captains, whatever, they're all poor character. And that, and that goes to the sublime message. The society is in such a poor state. Who would want to rule over them? Who would want to be a priest or minister or a pastor of such a poor quality society? Of course, another, well, uh, it would have to be an individual that's even poorer than them to put up with them, you see. Any man of quality or woman of quality would never take a leadership position in this society, ever. They wouldn't last even if they tried. So you're always going to have, within the past 150 years, inferior people in superior positions and superior people in inferior positions. This is a given as another sign of, you know, it's just vanity. It's just the time has to go through. It's like being in a dunk tank for, you know, you agree to be in the dunk tank for one minute, but you can only hold your breath for 40 seconds. That's okay. You said a minute, so you got to deal with the last 20 seconds, right? Yeah, sounds painful. Mm -hmm. It is painful. If you And if you're not in pain, you're not paying attention. But it doesn't mean you, you, can deal, you can't deal with it. Okay, so um, yeah, I think we've looked at a variety of topics and I think that sets the table to expand on things in subsequent episodes. I don't feel a need to over-expand on anything since we'll have 
more things to cover in the future. Are there any other generalities you'd like to mention on the subject of the supernatural before we wrap up? Well, just to find supernatural by itself, you know, for what people can conceive, uh, perceive to be natural, if something is extraordinary, it's supernatural. But if you have a pretty good perception of what is possible in the natural world, you may not perceive certain things as being supernatural because it's just being of the, you know, the, the, the understanding of how subtle energies you know, can manifest as big, big, powerful forces. But generally what we consider supernatural, quote unquote, we meaning the society at large, uh, loosely there is, is stuff that's been put in front of us as being as such, you know, through religious doctrine and Hollywood and media and whatever. But um, as we progress in time, the next uh, half a decade or so, I think the there'll be some solidity to the term supernatural, paranormal, miraculous, um, meaning it will be experienced publicly. It will be more more active in the world. Cool. Then I think we've covered everything that we need to cover in this introductory episode. And similar to the Greek Speak podcast, I'll be trying to do an episode a month. We'll see how the timeline plays out. The last one took a year. I wouldn't be surprised if we uh, had a similar timeline, but I'll shoot for less and we'll see how it goes. And so thank you to everybody who tuned into this one and uh, we look forward to seeing you at the next episode.